With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Master the NEC. Today's episode is sponsored by Encore Wire Corporation. Manufacturers of building wiring, both aluminum and copper products. Uh, and today's show is going to be on Article 320 and 330. Most of you probably are familiar with that. That's Type AC cable and Type MC cable. Okay, so we're going to talk about uh, generally anything you really need to know about those two products, the installation applications, and kind of give you an overview. Uh, of some experience installations and answer some questions. Uh, mainly we're going to be going out of the 2014 National Electrical Code, so hopefully you have your 2014 edition. Uh, my name is Paul Abernathy. I'm Codes and Standards uh, uh, Manager at Encore Wire. I'm also on Code Making Panel 17 uh, and on a bunch of other S uh, STP panels for UL62 uh, and on ASTM B B01 and B07 uh, committees. Uh, and so, um, formerly uh, the Southern Field uh, representative for the National Electrical Manufacturers Association. So, uh, I figured we'd get into it and kind of talk about these. Now, if you're kind of a UL guy or you're used to the UL documents, then you're probably familiar with the fact that Type AC cable is UL number four, or UL document four. And that's been around for quite a while. So, as you can tell by the numbering sequence, where as opposed to type MC cable or metal clad cable, uh, which is uh, UL 1569, it's kind of later in the series. So as you know, UL 4 has been around quite a while. So it's something that, uh, be honest with you, I, I more and more people are using MC than they are AC, but I'm going to tell you, uh, type AC cable is a great alternative when you don't need to run an equipment ground. You can actually use the outer uh, metallic sheathing as an effective ground fault current path. Uh, it's also a method that's listed as an equipment grounding conductor in 250.118. So, you know, it, it is a great alternative to, uh, you know, other types of wiring methods, although all of them that are listed in Chapter 3 are usable. It's just kind of another method to, uh, to do. So, let's kind of look at it a little bit. Now, uh, Type AC cable in its listing in, in UL4 uh, gives you sizes 14 through 1 copper or 12 through 1 aluminum or copper clad aluminum. And it's generally for a 600 volt or less application. Um, so, you know, AC cable is obviously going to be limited to some of its applications due to its size limitations, obviously. 
uh, and you'll see that it's going to in the certain areas that it's going to it's not going to be something that you can use for like service entrance applications. Um, so it does have its uses generally for feeders and branch circuit applications. It's a really great alternative. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit maybe also about the types of fittings that you would look for for use with a a type AC you know cable. And then we'll kind of migrate into uh, working into the um, type MC cable as we move along. But hopefully we're going to cover everything you need to know about these two wiring methods here in this, this episode. Well, the first thing we want to do is we're going to start in Article 320, again, dealing with armored cable, and we're going to talk about uh, the scope of it first. As with anything uh, that's associated with the work you're doing in the field, whether you're an inspector or an electrician or an engineer, is you really need to know the scope of the article that you're using. That way you don't uh, misapply something that's really not covered by this article. Uh, you can rest assured that if you actually have type AC cable in your hand and you're using it, be it an installation for a feeder or branch circuit application, then you, you can be rest you, you can rest assured that Article 320 is going to get you covered there. So, the scope of, of 320, and as with all articles, the scope is in point one. It says this article covers the use, installation, and construction specification for armored cable type AC. Now one thing to remember, the National Electrical Code is not an installation guide for the untrained person. All right, It's just some uh, minimum uh, electrical safety standards that are to be met in an installation that it can ensure a, a compliant safe installation. So we have to remember that. This is not an installation guide. Okay, It does give you helpful information, does give you direction, but it's not going to take the place of apprenticeship programs, uh, NECA programs uh, that they put up for training, um, uh, IBEW type of things like that, apprenticeships, your state apprenticeship. That's going to teach you the skill. This is the guidelines that you're going to really need to, to install it safely, at least minimum level. And, and every three years this gets reviewed and they change and currently we're in the uh, review process. I've already had a first revision. Uh, we're waiting for the to, to for that to be published, and then we'll go into the second revision, um, which is kind of the uh, not really revision, second draft, and then that's to take place in uh, November, uh, so that we can try to get out that uh, uh, the 2017 NEC here in another year or so. So, all right. So again, we're looking about AC cable here, and we're going to talk about it. it's 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 basically broken down into three parts. Uh, the first part is going to be your, uh, you know, your general. Uh, your second is going to be installation guidelines, things to worry about, uses permitted, not permitted, what have you. And then third is going to be some construction applications. And this is kind of going to mirror what's in UL4, uh, that all of the manufacturers have to construct their products to in order to be compliant. So we'll kind of examine those type of things and look at it a little bit. So let's start out. And also we're going to tackle that misconception here about uh, MC and AC cable in their um, in the uh, insulated bushing or anti-short bushing, which is required and what's not, and, and for which one. So, all right. So let's look at the definition. So we have to know what armored cable is, and it's a fabricated assembly of insulated conductors in a flexible interlocked uh, metallic armor. Now, when we say fabricated in a facility. You actually you make your wires. You 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 run that. You draw the copper and you extrude the insulation material over it and then you cable it and then you take it to an armory and, and actually they begin to wrap the armor 
around. It's a neat process to see, but that puts the armor around the internal cabled conductors. Uh, and, and, and that's how you create type AC and MC cable. All right. Now, let's go into part two, installation. All right, let's look at some areas that, uh, that there are some permitted uses. Of course, these areas, you obviously have other wiring methods you can use, but so when it says use is permitted, these are some areas that, that will permit you to use a type AC cable. Uh, the first one we look at is 320.10 item one is for feeders and branch circuit in both exposed and concealed locations. So concealed behind walls, uh, and also can be run exposed. Now, when we do run it exposed, we're going to have some things we have to pay attention to because it can, it can be subject to some physical damage. So we have to, we have to be conscious of that when we're running it. Uh, but obviously, it's a concealed uh, wire method. You could run it in the walls, ab above suspended ceilings, and, and all those type of things. Uh, item number two says in cable trays. So they are evaluated. Uh, for this listing now if if you have a UL4 and it's for use in a cable tray then it's going to meet different types of testing requirements like uh, IEEE uh, 1204 uh, things like that that are uh, that you have what's called flame tests and and all these type of things to make sure that they're adequate to go inside of a cable tray all right so it's all that stuff's going to be done so here it's clearly permitted to be installed in a cable tray course when you install it on a cable tray you have to be aware of the items in in uh, article 392 which is dealing with cable trays um, so they kind of work together and you'll see that as we kind of go on a little bit uh, 320.10 item 3 is in dry locations well one thing to remember that while type MC cable is also a dry location product then you can get the PVC jacketed to go in a wet location but when you're dealing with type AC cable, it's a, it's a dry location uh, type of product, okay? So you keep that in mind, you know, and if there was any allowance in a wet location, uh, then, then the code is going to be pretty, pretty clear on that. In this case, it's, it's real clear that it's in a dry location. So this is a dry location type of product. Uh, 320.10 item number four, it says embedded in plaster finish or brick or other masonry. So it's okay to embed it in plaster on brick, okay, plaster finish on brick or other masonry, except in a damp or wet location. So if it's plaster finish on brick or masonry in a dry location, then you're able to put this type AC cable in that app embedded in there. But if the location you're putting it on is a on brick or masonry and it is a damp or wet location, uh, then you're not going to be able to use this type of product. So the key here is the dry location component on that. But let's go on and read and see if we got any other allowances here. Let's see, 320.10 item 4. It says to be run or fished in an air voids of masonry block or tile walls where such walls are not exposed or subject to excessive moisture or dampness. So again, one of the key themes that we're seeing here is that type AC cable doesn't like this moist or damp type of location. Of course, you're going to see also with the, the listing requirements for this product that it has a lot of paper wrap, whether it be around the conductors or the individual conductors. So you have this paper component, and that's kind of kind of leads you into the, the, the issue. For example, when we talk about uh, type 
uh, NMB or non-metallic sheath cable and we do have an episode on that it's five parts you can listen to it teach you everything you need to know about type NM cable uh, but you see there's a common thread here that paper inside which you know makes it uh, pretty common to, to, to be the issue where they don't want it near damp or wet locations alright so that was item five and let's see here step into the world of power loyalty and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And it also goes and gives us an informational note that's probably real important to to key in on here. And it says that the uses permitted is not an all-inclusive list. Okay, so what that really means in code language is that this is just a, it's kind of like that such as component where you see anything in the code that says such as and gives you some lists of some such as locations, um, then you, you have to remember that that is just a, a such as list. That's not an all-inclusive list. And here there might be some other permitted applications that fall within here. Uh, that's probably going to be a lot based on the manufacturer's listing and what they have some optional listings for a certain product usage. Uh, but this isn't an all-inclusive list, and it just wants to make you aware of that. All right, then we move into 320.12, uses not permitted. Okay, so this is some applications where specifically the, the National Electrical Code and when they got together, that's the code-making panels, and due to submissions from, from the general public who has an interest in uh, working with the National Electrical Code, uh, and manufacturers' input as well as other key uh, professionals that they've developed these uses not permitted applications. And it says, type AC cable shall not be used as follows. Well, number one, it says we're subject to physical damage. Again, no definition in the National Electrical Code uh, that pertains to physical damage or severe physical damage. I think that was tried here in the uh, the 2017 National Electrical Code uh, development process, and it was shot down. Um, uh, seems like that we'd like to leave that physical damage component up to the authority having jurisdiction to make those determinations on what's considered uh, physical damage, and that's probably better off where it should be, although we do need some clear guidelines uh, because there are some applications where uh, a, a cable might be run on the surface, but there's something in front of it that would preclude anything from actually physically damaging it, something that may be fixed in place, and you have some kind of uh, relief from this physical damage component. But again, that's something that the AHJ, authority having jurisdiction, uh, is going to have to make that call. Next, we have 320.12 item number two, and it clearly states here that you don't run type AC cable in damp or wet locations, okay? This is kind of funny, because if you go over and look at type MC cable, and we haven't gone there yet, but we will, you'll see that it talks about dry locations and it talks about wet locations, but it has very it, it, no real mention of a damp location type of situation. So I'll kind of give you my opinion on that and how we how you can take that with you into the field uh, when we get to type MC metal clad cable later okay so we clearly know that 
Type AC cable is not permitted in a damp or wet location. Again, authority having jurisdictions is going to make that call. We do have some good guidelines back in Article 100 when we look at definitions for locations, and it'll give you a dry, damp, or wet. And it'll have a bunch of those such as applications, but again, even a dry location can be subject to moderate levels of dampness or wetness uh, and still be considered a dry location. So, you know, you've got to use the HJ. It's got to use some um, good judgment here because, for example, a crawl space. A crawl space could be arguably uh, positioned as a dry, a wet, or a damp, depending on what's there. And the only one that knows this uh, the best is an, an AHJ who is familiar with the area. I've been in an awful lot of crawl spaces uh, that I would consider dry locations, even if there was in certain biblical range, you might get some moisture in there. But for the most part, it's a dry location. So, you know, so you've got to got to remember those things um, uh, when you're dealing with so the AHJ has to make that call. But Article 100 of the National Electrical Code does give us some 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 good guidelines for it to follow, and then you kind of got to use your your judgment. And there's really no um, uh, nothing. There's really nothing that replaces an AHJ's experience in doing this over years. Um, and hopefully, if you get a new inspector who doesn't understand that, that they're open to understanding, and that they have a superior officer uh, or superior supervisor or whatever. Uh, that they can go to and, and get some guidance on it. Or maybe you can even help them. Uh, I wouldn't push it down their throat. It's not going to get you anywhere. But it's something that you need to have an open discussion about uh, because that is a critical component in understanding the code when you're dealing with certain products and whether or not they can be in a wet, dry, or damp application. So kind of keep that in mind. All right, so other uses not permitted, 320.12, item 3. It says, in air voids... A masonry block or tile where the walls are exposed to or subject to excessive moisture or dampness. The key word here is excessive. So we have to understand what's considered excessive uh, in order for this to take place. But obviously it can go into voids uh, as we saw back in um, 320.10 item 5 where it's, you know, where it's, it can be fished or run into air voids and masonry block or tile walls. We're not exposed to subject to excessive. So again, we're just picking that, that, that same wording over here in the use is not permitted uh, to remind you that, you know, it's uh, can't go in those air voids or masonry block or, or in tile walls that are subject to excessive moisture or dampness. Again, going to have to be a call that we can't make for you. You know, when we code experts or different one, you know, we'll give you interpretations. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're there and your HJ has to make that call. And uh, we can't tell you what's considered uh, severe or excessive or, or, you know, or that because we can't see it. We don't have the history on it. 320.12, item number four. Again, we're in use is not permitted. It says we're exposed to corrosive conditions. Uh, this goes, uh, the, the worst case scenario example is using a Article 320 armored cable type AC in an environment that has chemical storage, like in a pool, uh, a pool room that has open storage of chemicals or, or whatnot. So you know that's a, that can be a, a corrosive condition. Dampness uh, with the vapors can cause things to corrode. So you know you have to determine whether or not you're in a corrosive condition environment. Uh, you know uh, whether or not you can use type AC cable or not. And obviously in this case you cannot. And in the last item five in 320.12, it says embedded in plaster finish or brick or other masonry in damp or wet locations. So 
it was fine to put it in a plaster finish on brick or masonry in a dry location, which would be the mostly the interior portion of a building. If I'm doing a remodel and it's an old brick and I'm and I'm cutting it down to the walls and I'm putting uh, maybe dry board or uh, drywall onto the walls, uh, and then I have to be able to put the type AC cable against it and it's going to come in contact and I'm going to plaster over that small chase, if, if you will. Um, if it, Generally, that's going to be a dry location. It's indoors. It's, it's in direct contact with the drywall. So obviously it's, you know, there's no vapor barrier put up. Cause, so you have to make determination that that is a dry location. Then I could embed it in there and it's not a problem. A lot of people get confused with plaster and they'll confuse it with concrete and other type of things as a and call it a wet location substance or whatnot because there's moisture in it, but really it dries quickly and it dries uh, and it's not really a a, a wet uh, type of material. It's kind of it is kind of muddy, but then it dries you know bone dry and then you're fine. So the only problem is if it's against something that's subject to dampness and wetness that constantly keeps moisture wicked in or drawn into the plaster material so it kind of always stays damp then you've got a product that is staying in something that's considered damp or wet all the time so it's kind of you know you have to know the location so that's why this is so critical for this product uh, one key thing to remember with type ac cable if in doubt stay dry so it means it has to be a dry location all right, let's move on. So next we're going to go to 320.15, exposed work, because we saw where it's it's permitted to be installed, uh, exposed in accordance with 320.10 item one, which says that the feeder or branch circuits in both exposed and concealed installations. So when we install it into an exposed application, then we have to take some precautions. We have to be aware of some things that take place here. So exposed runs of cable except as provided in the 300.11a, uh, shall closely follow the surface of the building finish or on running boards. Exposed runs shall, shall also be permitted to be installed on the underside of joist uh, where supported at each joist and located so as not to be subject to physical damage. So that's a key thing to think about. Now, before we talk about the first paragraph, and I kind of explained 300.11a, we really want to know what you're talking about, exposed run. You know, like type NM cable has a limitation under the bottom surface when you're running it under the floor joists, okay? You, you have that, that little limitation uh, in there that says that it's got to be at least equivalent to three, um, three number eights or two number sixes or two sixes or three eights. That equivalent, kind of like a cable, uh, underneath the joists and it's fine, but you can't run like 14-2, 12-2, 10-2 underneath the joists. You're going to have to run them on running boards or through board holes or whatever. Well, what it's saying here is you don't have that same limitation. Uh, you can run it on the bottom of the floor joists, but you're going to have to secure it at every joist. And kind of what we see a lot is that people forget that. They do run it under there, but then they want to try to secure it every four and a half feet like the securing requirement is going to be here in 320.30. But they forget the fact that the code says if you're going to run it exposed, then it has to be, you know, it has to be supported at each joist. Okay. And 
it's got to be located in an area that's not subject to physical damage. Again, up to the authority having jurisdiction, a little common sense comes into play here. If it's tucked away in a the corner, there's really no way it's going to have any type of physical damage. Anything that really could get there unless you physically go out of your way to damage it. And again, we can't fix stupid, right? So that to me would be something that's not subject to physical damage, but you have a low ceiling and you put it out in the middle of a room and you put it on the bottom. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Then a good argument can be made that, that people carrying stuff downstairs, uh, if the air conditioning unit's down there, you have duck or a metal duck or flex or whatever, that it could actually hit it and damage it. So, so you know, there is some people could hang things from it. So, you know, you got to use a good judgment there. Again, HJ is going to have to help you with that. Uh, but you know what? Make your case and uh, never just, you know, cry and moan because you want to do something. You got to build your case. You got to also remember that you're building this house or this building to be around probably to outlive you or the, or the occupant. So we have to wire it in a way that it's going to stand the test of time. So kind of give it that litmus test, you know, the standing the test of time. Am I installing this in a way that's going to stand the test of time? Okay. All right. So that's what we're talking about for the joist. Now, when we're talking about 300.11a, basically we're talking about securing in place cable assemblies, for, for the example, um, can be supported above uh, you know, a suspended ceiling, for example, okay, you have some allowances for supporting up there, okay, or in this open cavities. Basically what 300.11a says, securing in place, you remember, we have our normal requirement that says that you secure it every four and a half feet for, for type AC cable, okay, we haven't gotten there yet, but it's 320.30, but then we have what we just read requirement, and it says that it has to be secured if you can run it on the floor joists at three at 320.15 that you're going to have to secure it at every joist. And then it says except for 300.11a, which basically is when you have support wires in ceiling grid systems. And obviously uh, you put in your support wires and that gives you allowance to put in an independent support wire and to be able to secure that cable to that support wire. So it's not really going to run with the surface of the building, but that's okay because 300.11a gives us a provision for how we do that. And then you have to be, um, uh, you have to read this because it's real clear, for example, in one of those type of uh, uh, suspended ceiling applications that the cable or raceways are not to be supported by the ceiling grid itself. So you really can't run it with the surface to get it down to a luminaire, for example. So you do have this ability to be able to independently support it, if you will. Okay.
All right, so now what we got to do here is we got I got to I got to now I got to bear with me here because now I got to go back and get back to where I was at. Okay. All right, I'm back. All right, so that was what we covered with 300.11a, and then we also know that hey, when this doesn't apply, um, that you've got to if you're going to run it on the underside of joists, then you have to su support it at each joist. Okay, and we got that uh, uh, physical damage issue. You have to you have to take care of that. All right, let's move on. Next is 320.17 through or parallel to framing members. Okay, so if we're going to run type AC cable through framing members, uh, be it uh, wood or be it metal, through the framing members, uh, we have provisions we have to take care of or be aware of whether I'm going to run it horizontally or vertical uh, beside the framing members. And that protects from penetrations of nails that might penetrate through or staples or, or you know, you have to maintain distances to keep from damaging uh, the product. The good news about AC and MC, whether it's the aluminum jacketed or, or steel jacketed, is they have this benefit of, of flexibility in the moving. So unlike an EMT electrometallic tubing that stays in place, it's kind of rigid, a nail hits it, it kind of is not going to move, so it's going to penetrate it or a rigid PVC is not going to move. The good news about a flexible cable like this, or a type of flexible, uh, like an AC and MC, is that it moves, and it's rounded, and the edges are, are, are really highly polished, so what happens if a nail hits it, it kind of slides the, the cable out of the way. So that's a benefit. So while you don't have the allowance to, to, to install the cable right up to the surface of the drywall, right at the edge of the stud, uh, you still have to maintain that separation an inch and a quarter, uh, but you have to remember that that adds to the uh, the flexibility of the product and allows it to move away and moves it away from the edge. So it's really a, a an evolved wiring method that is very resilient to nail penetrations and things like that. And it doesn't really matter whether it's a steel armor or a uh, a um, aluminum armor. Okay, you still get the same movement, same properties. Obviously, steel is going to be a little more resilient than an aluminum, but not enough to tilt the, tilt the scale to say, I'm, I'm not going to take some of the advantages that I might get of an aluminum armor uh, over a steel. Both have their advantages. Uh, you just have to look at each installation and choose it your own way, but they're very resilient. Okay, So in doing so, type AC cables shall be protected in accordance with 300.4 A, C, and D. Okay, so that's important. Why is that important? Because we're going to go look at it. But it's A, C, and D. So let's write those down because they're the only ones we're dealing with. All right? So 300.4, A, C, and D. So let's do that. Let's go look at it real quick. All right. Let's look at A, 304.A. So because we know that, we're, that, that B doesn't apply. Okay. So anything to do with B is not going to, you know, have anything to do with this application. It's only A, C, and D. All right, so what's A? It says 300.4, protect against physical damage. We're subject to physical damage. Conductors, raceways, and cables shall be protected. A is cables and raceways through, through wood members. All right, okay, so A is dealing with wood members. Now, this is where it gets real important. We're not doing a, a wiring method application or up in 300, but you got to follow along here because we're talking about type AC cable and the requirements to protect it in physical damage that are covered in 300.4 and it's specifically called out A, C, and D. Okay, 
Now, let's look at uh, this one, board holes. In both exposed and concealed locations, so whether it's exposed or you've actually put it behind drywall or what have you, it says where a cable or raceway uh, type wiring method is installed through board holes uh, in uh, joists, rafters, or wood members, uh, holes shall be bored so that the edge of the hole is not less than an inch and a quarter from the nearest edge of the wood member. Okay, so that's that setback that's real important. Now, you have to remember if we're running parallel with it, you have to have that setback, okay? If you were using, and we'll see it in a little bit in the middle, in a, in a minute, when you're, if you were doing something like uh, uh, furred members, you know, you have to maintain that spacing. You, you, the key is you have to, to maintain this inch and a quarter spacing from the edge in case they slightly miss when they're putting in the sheetrock screws or drywall screws or nails or whatever. Okay, trim wood, trim, things like that. So you have to maintain that distance. Now, where that distance cannot be maintained for whatever reason means the way maybe you're having to drill through a, a, a gang of uh, maybe four two by four studs and just because of the angle of the drill bit, one of them's gonna be shallower than the other so you can't maintain it then it says you're going to have to protect it on that framing member with a 1 16th of an inch thick uh, of a, a steel plate. And that has to be at least uh, 1 16th uh, of an inch thick. Okay. So it has to cover the approximate length and width of the area where your, where your board hole is. So that anything that were to go through it, you obviously have less wood. It could push it, and since it really can't move, now you lose that flexibility when you do it through the board, board wood members, right? And these are all wood members. You can't really bore metal, right? So board wood metal members, I guess you could bore steel plate, but that's not what we're talking about. Plus the title of it in A says wood members. It really can't move. So it's kind of being held in place because of the wood and because of any filings that might be in there because of its installation. Uh, so it is prone to being penetrated like anything else. So you have to put that plate. You know, interesting is a lot of times inspectors will look at the por portion of the framing that's towards the inner side of the building and they forget that if that hole runs shallow on the backside that they need to have that on the outside as well because you do have a lot of issues where they drive nails for the siding and it drives right in through the framing member so it goes both ways it's it's either side of that wood framing member has to maintain that inch and a quarter on those board holes the bigger hole you to bore the less that you're going to be able to maintain the nearest edge of that board hole that that one in a in a a fourth inch, okay, or one and a quarter. So keep that in mind. It's the edge of the hole, not to the cable, okay? All right, uh, there are some exceptions to that rule. There's two exceptions. Exception number one, which is, again, I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but based on a 19, I think it was 1992 or 93 fact-finding study that was performed for type MC, type AC, uh, ENT, rigid, uh, uh, PVC, uh, it, it found out that actually um, rigid non-metallic conduit performed very poorly and so did electrical metallic tubing when it was run through framing members performed very poorly. In other words, the nail was, and screws would go right into it. Uh, you even had a little better performance again in the type MC type AC because it has some movement to it 
whereas an EMT running through a borehole, why you would do it, but I guess they still do it in Chicago, um, then uh, in those areas, you don't have that flexibility, that movement, so it easily penetrates it. So there is a study out there. There was a UL fact-finding study that was done. Uh, it is available. Google it, find it, and you will see that type MC, type AC performed better in this application. However, they're not listed down here. Now, you can't argue against rigid metal, and you can't argue against intermediate metal, uh, which don't require the, the plates. But I don't know about that rigid non-metallic conduit and electrical metallic tubing. Uh, look up that report. You're going to find that they don't perform real well. Uh, I'd rather, personally, I'd rather have type AC or MC cable in those walls if that was the case. Uh, so it would be nice to see that added to the exception. Uh, and uh, maybe that will happen. Maybe I'll submit that. Uh, and it's probably been done before. Uh, but now, you know, uh, the fact-finding commission, it was done independently by UL. Uh, underwriters laboratory should carry some weight unless you have some people on a committee for example that are just set in their ways and sometimes that can happen you know they you know kind of been through the ringer you know uh, you know have some experience under their belt and they just feel like nope I just don't buy it uh, you you really got to open up and think about the flexibility of these types of uh, cable assemblies they 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 really do move okay and they move out of the way fairly easy so all right, anyway, so there you go. You've got that application right there. Now, there's an exception number two. It says a listed and marked steel plate less than 1 16th of an inch uh, that provides equal or better protection against nail or screw penetration shall be permitted. So if you have something that's listed and marked, I'm not saying it, say it's 1 16th steel plate, but let's say you had something that was less than 1 16th, but it was... I don't know, some other metal that was harder than steel or whatnot, that you could actually get listed for the application, then you could use that. And it might be thinner uh, than 1 16th of an inch. But as long as it's listed and marked, um, you know, then it would, uh, you know, would work. And this says a listed marked steel plate less than it. So, you know, maybe you have some harder steel uh, that is less than 1 16th of an inch. But, but as long if it goes through a listed process, uh, then we can deal with it. Then the HJ should accept it. Um, let's see here. Let's let's move on. Okay, so the next one is obviously we're still under A is notches in wood. Still applies here. We have the same exceptions here that we had in A1. Uh, the only difference in A2 is dealing with notches. You still, if you have any notches, and you have to remember in construction codes or the building codes, you're all going to be limited to where you can put these notches, how deep they are, if it's going to uh, weaken the structure itself, uh, you got to be careful of that, you know, so you have to go, you know, make sure you're following all your requirements in the IBC or IRC, that's International Residential Code or International Building Code. Um, but in this case, if you're doing a notch rather than a board hole, uh, then you have this application as well. I've seen a lot of manufactured homes do the put up the homes first, uh, and, you know, these ones that are built on, on, on in a factory and in order to run the wiring, they come around afterwards and they notch the outside of the of the joists or the rafters or I mean the studs, excuse me. And they'll actually lay it in that and then put the nail plates up. But you know what? I've routinely seen them use nail plates that are less than one sixtieth of an inch. And I guess because they're on site, um, you would think they'd be subject to the same requirements of the NEC. But again, if it's a HUD and it might be years behind, I, you know, I don't know. But they surely don't look one sixteenth of an inch uh, thick. Uh, and so, and, and I've easily seen nails 
penetrate right through them. It almost looks like flashing. Uh, so kind of keep that in mind. But the three, the, the two exceptions apply here as well. Uh, listed in Mark Steel Plate, less than 1 16th, or uh, RMC, IMC, uh, rigid non-metallic conduit, or electrical metallic tubing. Again, I don't really buy the rigid non-metallic or electrical metallic tubing as being adequate. Uh, they don't move. I'd rather have a type MC AC, but again, they're not in the exception. Okay, but uh, you know somebody needs to propose that, if not myself, uh, because it was done, and the studies don't lie, and the studies are available. Okay. All right, B we don't have because B talks about non-metallic sheath cable and electrical non-metallic tubing through framing members, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about type AC cable. So we skip in B. We go to C. Now C says cables through spaces behind panels designed to allow access. All right, any type of panel that allows you to have access to the wiring behind a wall or above a ceiling, a suspended ceiling, for example, is an example of a area above um, that have panels that are designed to allow access to that area, okay? And basically what it says here, cables or raceway type wiring methods behind, uh, installed behind panels designed to allow access, and I will tell you all of those panels in a suspended ceiling are designed to allow access, okay? Uh, shall be supported according to their applicable uh, articles. Again, that's to tell you first and foremost that you can't lay it on the grid, you can't lay it on the tiles, you can't inhibit the access above it, but also like in the requirements in, in 320 is you're gonna find out when we get there in 320.30 that, that you're gonna to have to secure it and support it every four and a half feet. Okay, so this is just saying, hey, even though it's designed to allow access, you can't just lay it up there. It's still gotta be secured, uh, and it's still gotta be supported, you know, that type of thing. So, you know, they can't be laid on a suspended ceiling. And really by doing so, depending on how much you install, you could really inhibit the access uh, to that area and you don't want to do that, okay? And so the best thing to do is at this point when you are above that suspended ceiling and you have to go to luminaires or what have you, then you remember that 300.11a is going to give you some allowances. Uh, also, you have to be careful because it might be a, a plenum area and so you, you have to, to, to be aware of those in 300.22 and 23 and, and kind of be aware of those things. But uh, other than that, just keep it in mind that this one only deals with the fact that if it's above one of these areas to allow access, uh, that you have to still support it in accordance with this article for that type of wiring method. It's kind of a no-brainer, but you know, it kind of keeps you, keeps you in, in sync with that. And then lastly is the D, 300.4D we were talking about. And remember, we're still dealing with type AC cable. Uh, is that we want to deal with cables and raceways parallel to framing members and furring strips. And that's kind of what I just talked about. If I'm running it parallel with the furring strip, and you know typically a furring strip is probably not going to be more than like a 2 inch by 2 inch furring strip uh, on a block wall in a basement or whatever, or a cement uh, prefab poured wall. And you just need to get some insulation in there. You've already got the thickness of the wall. Uh, and you want all the room you can, so they'll put up furring strips. So in this case, uh, a lot of times when I was doing a lot of inspections, you would see people running the type AC or MC cable along the side of that furring strip. And if they did that, they're going to have to put a, a steel plate, that uh, 1 an inch uh, plate or sleeve or whatever, down that entire framing member. Uh, so the easiest thing to do is just move it off of the framing member an inch and a quarter. 
and then secure it that way so that you got that gap away. You know, the last thing you want to do is risk driving a nail. Now, while in a normal framing member, like a two by four, that inch and a quarter separation gives enough room in there for that cable to really flex. Now, when you're talking about a two by two furring strip, there's not a whole lot of room for that uh, cable to move. It will still move because the study that was done years ago, back in the early 90s that I was talking about, um, basically installed it right up with the surface. So, and then they secured it every 18 inches so the thing couldn't move and it still rolled out of the way and did a good job. Well, we are doing so much better when we maintain that inch and a quarter. So we want to make sure that we maintain it. Again, it's all about the longevity of the installation. It's not about just getting in and what's convenient. It's about how this building and how this electrical wiring system is going to withstand the test of time and run the risk of people trying to hang stuff and shoot nails in it or, or some other surface material that they want to shoot into the, uh, the side of the wall or whatnot. We want to keep from damaging this cable. Okay. It's very resilient as we talked about, but you know, again, why would you want to risk it? Follow the minimum of the code. Now I've had people email me and say, you know, Paul, they say, well, it's still subject to nail because it's aluminum jacketed and it's that it's weaker than the steel. And they want to argue these things. But the reality is you, you can't control what the installer does. So the key is the installer has to follow the minimum code standards that are set by the NEC the minimum standard to create a minimally safe structure. And if they don't follow these guidelines or we don't have an inspection authority that, that enforces these guidelines to the letter, then for example, if they were only off an inch and it wasn't an inch and a quarter, I would fail you because it's in black and white. It's very simple for you to follow these guidelines. So when something is that black and white, it's right there in the code. Now, I understand there's some gray areas that you can argue in the code, but when something is black and white, I'll expect the electrician or the engineer or whoever's, whoever's doing the installation to follow these minimum standards. And as an authority having jurisdiction, I'm going to hold you accountable because at the end of the day, I'm going to be accountable for what I let go that wasn't in the minimum standard compliance. Okay? All right, that soapbox, I came off of it, but I had to go there. I had to go there for a second, but then I'm back. Okay, now let's read this one because, you know, I find this one pretty darn important. So we're going to want to read it here. It says, in both exposed and concealed locations, so again, it doesn't matter whether it's exposed and there's no drywall on it or finish board on it or whatnot, uh, or if it's concealed in a wall or wherever, you know, when it deals with, with the parallel to framing members and furring strips, and this is parallel running, running with it, we already covered running through it, okay, wood framing members, uh, in that uh, inch and a quarter. Now we're running parallel. It says, where cable or raceway tight wire method is installed parallel to framing members, such as joists, rafters, or studs, or is installed parallel to frame, uh, furring strips, which is very common, again, in unfinished basements where they're just block basement and you're furring it out. They don't want to lose that extra couple inches around the perimeter of the, of, of the room. So it says the cable or raceway shall be installed and supported so that the nearest outside surface of the cable or raceway is not less than one and a quarter inch from the nearest edge of the framing member. Okay, so now this one's talking about the cable from the nearest edge, whereas you saw the board hole is talking about from the nearest edge to the edge of the board hole. So kind of subtle things to keep in mind when you're dealing with this, okay? 
and it says where nails or screws are likely to penetrate. So anytime you have a framing member and you were to put the material, uh, the Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hiring method right up against that framing material. Uh, it is likely to be penetrated. Okay? On all framing members, if there's framing member there... Anybody could hang a picture. Anybody could hang some kind of uh, finishing on that and nail it in. And you're going to hope that they get it into the framing member or they miss it a little to the left or a little to the right. And they, they, they nail it in, they get a little resistance and they bang it home. You know, how do you know they're not banging it into the wiring method? So you have to, at least uh, with these stud finders that we have today, I mean, you're pretty much right on. But that inch and a quarter separation really gives you that level of insurance that if, oops, I missed the framing member, that they're not going to drive it into that material. Again, the flexibility that Type AC cable provides you is great because it does move. And since you only secure it every four and a half feet, uh, it gives you that, that, that little bit of movement. Got to remember that test that was done and it passed with flying colors, that stuff was secured at the surface. There was no setback. And it was done every eight, roughly about every 18 inches. So it was kind of rigidly applied. Okay. So now with that four and a half foot, it does move. It does roll. It does gap. And so that, you know, but the reason you're securing it every four and a half feet is to keep it in that position. Okay. All right. So that's pretty much the, the, the and again, where the distance cannot be maintained uh, from, you know, and, and it is, uh, subject to where it shall be penetrated, you know, anytime along those framing members or furring strips, uh, then you could put it, uh, it had to be protected by a steel plate, a sleeve, uh, or something that's equivalent. And I've seen it done where they take a, uh, one sixteenth of an inch kind of a, a plate, which is not like a normal nail plate, but a long one. It's like four or five inches. If for some reason they really want to put it right next to the framing member and they can't maintain that inch and a quarter, then they'll put this in and it overlaps the cable and that protects it. So that is an option if you'd like to do that. All right, so let's go on back. Let's get back to where we were so we can press on. But hopefully that kind of, that was pretty good. That kind of covered everything uh, in uh, 300.4 AC and D, which is what applies to our type AC cable. Again, B does not apply. If you're doing non-metallic sheet cable in 334, it does, but it's not here, okay? All right, let's move on to 320.23 in accessible attics. All right, in accessible attics, it says type AC cable in accessible attics or roof spaces, important, okay? You have the attic or roof spaces, might be some spaces in the attic that were, an inspector might argue that's not really an attic, but it's a roof space, shall be installed as specified in 320.23A and B. All right, so A is dealing with the cables run across the top of the floor joists, and B is cables installed parallel to framing members in these attic spaces. So let's talk about the ones that are run across the top of the floor joists, okay? 
That's your general statement in A. Right, it says, we're run across the top of floor joists. Right, that's the first one. Okay, We're run across the top of floor joists, and this is an accessible attic now. It says, or within seven feet of the floor or floor joist across the face of rafters or studs, the cable shall be protected by guard strips that are at least as high as the cable. All right, so basically, you know, this isn't the same as a running board, okay? These are guard strips so that when I'm stepping or walking around in an accessible attic uh, or with anywhere within seven feet of the, the access, uh, and that means across the face of the rafters and studding or whatever you have up there, that's within seven feet, okay, uh, then what's going to happen is the... Um, uh, when you go in that access, whether it's the pull down, let's say, and you got, you're actually going up in it, then you have to maintain this kind of a sphere, if you will, or dome of seven foot that's required to have the strips. But it's also something that's required anywhere up there when you run across the floor joists. And basically you're putting down, let's say I'm, I'm attacking down two by fours and I'm running the, the, the AC cable beside those two by fours, okay? And they're not likely to have any penetration because they're just running boards. You know, I mean, not running boards. They're, they're guard strips. They're not something that nobody's going to tack to them. Now, if the thought was that you're putting these boards down because you're now going to put a finished floor down, then you're still going to have to meet that separation of an inch and a quarter. Don't, don't get me wrong. But if it is an attic that you're just going to put the, the guard strips down, they have to be at least as thick as the cables so that when you're walking around across the, the rafters, uh, you know, that what happens is you're not actually, uh, or floor joists, depending on you know, what you're doing, if it's accessible, it's probably floor joists or the upper part of, a, of the rafters for the room below. Then what happens is you won't step onto the cable and crush it. And the important thing about type AC cable is, again, you're using this outside armor as an effective ground fault current path. So the last thing you want to do is step on it and kink it and damage it or, or break it. Okay, you have that bonding strip that's running all the way down the middle of it, and that helps bond all of those convolutions together. We don't want to damage the application. So, I mean, while Type AC cable has tons of great benefits, uh, it is a, an application where it's not to be installed subject to physical damage. And this is an example where physical damage is, and I can use a lot of definitions <coughs> to describe physical damage, but I can tell you in an accessible attic, where you're running type AC cable across the floor joists or uh, in, in that application or rafters in that sphere within seven feet of entry, chances are when people are loading things up in there or they're taking up air conditioning equipment, if it's what's in the attic, um, it can damage it. So those are areas where I can argue what's considered physical damage locations. Not so much other areas, but there it's a good argument for it. All right, so that you're required to have that seven feet or we're run across any of the top joists. You've got to make sure that you, you know, there's, a, there's an or in there. But then it goes on to say where this space is not accessible by permanent stairs or ladders, means it's just a, like a scuttle hole. It says the protection shall only be required within six feet of the nearest edge of the scuttle hole or attic entrance. Okay, so you have some allowances here. Okay, so type AC cable installed in an accessible attic across the top of the floor joist or 
uh, within seven feet of the floor or floor joists across the face of the rafters or studs must be protected by guard strips. Typically is done with two by fours is what I, what I see the mostly done. Now, where the attic, again, is not accessible by permanent ladder or stales, uh, stairs, what I say? Stairs? Stales? I'm in Texas, so you know, I'm trying to get that draw. Um, then the guard strips are only required within six feet of the of scuttle hole or opening, okay? All right, so there is that caveat in there. The seven feet or across the top is required when it's like a pull down. When it's only a scuttle hole access, then it's only required within six feet of the nearest edge of the scuttle hole. So, you know, kind of those type of things, because to be honest with you, a, pull, a scuttle hole is not one that you're going to load and, and turn into a finished attic. So you don't have the issue where it can be finished off. So you don't have to have the issue about all across the top of the floor joists uh, and the seven feet. You can, you're limited down to the six feet because the thought is you're not going to expand that space so you can have a reduction and you don't have to worry about, let's say, over in the far corner where if you had a pull-down steps, then you would have to have that protection on all of, of, of the AC cable that's up there, uh, even the one that's within seven feet. Here, you're, only, you, you, you're actually reduced down to six feet area. All right, and then let's look at B, cable installed parallel to framing members. Again, we're still in the accessible attic. It says where the cable is installed parallel to the sides of rafters, studs, or ceilings, or floor joists, neither guard strips nor running boards shall be required. Obviously, if it's running parallel to it, it's down below the surface and you're not going to step on it. It's no different than it was uh, anywhere else inside of the framing of the structure. But it's real important that, like I said earlier, you still are going to have to maintain that 300.4D requirement, which is the parallel to framing members, and maintain that inch and a quarter, even in these spaces in an accessible attic. If the argument is it's not an accessible attic, then you don't have the same limitations on it. But we're talking about accessible attics. All right, let's move on to 320.24 bending radius. All right, so this is an issue where uh, we have to maintain a minimum bending radius because if you exceed that minimum bending radius, means we have to make sure you maintain a bending radius, uh, then what happens is you can cause the back end of the type AC cable to bust out or break out and it can damage the product. And that's the last thing you want to do with a type AC cable because the whole reason you're running it is to be able to use the armor as an effective ground fault current path. So in here it says, bending in type AC cable shall be made such that the cable is not damaged. That goes without saying. Uh, the radius of the curve on the inner edge of any bend shall not be less than five times the diameter of the type AC cable. Now, where do you get the diameter? This is not something you would just measure in the field. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know a micrometer or something. No, you simply look at the manufacturer's cut sheet and the manufacturers will give you an OD. And this OD, you simply take that OD value, the outer diameter value, times 5, and that is your minimum bending radius. You can exceed that and make a nice swooping bend, but you can't be a right angle bend. You have to have a nice, and it's got to be at least 5 times, and that's where the radius of the bend starts on the inner edge, where it starts and where it finishes. You have to maintain it. In other words, where it goes from, from truly uh, vertical to horizontal, where it starts that bend to take place, you measure that, and that is the minimum bend that has to take place because that minimum bend is going to keep you from damaging the armor cable when you bend it, okay? Can it be six times or seven times or eight times? Sure, but it has to be at least 
five times the diameter of the AC cable. And that diameter, again, you find from the manufacturer's cut sheets. And all manufacturers, I know on Coal Wire, we put it right on the actual cut sheet to tell you what the diameter is so that you know how to work out that calculation. And that's a fairly simple calculation. All right, 320.30, securing and supporting. Finally, we get to what I probably find is the most violated area of Article 320, is securing and supporting. Uh, so let's look at it here. There's a general requirement. It says type AC cable shall be supported and secured by staples, cable ties, straps, hangers, or similar fittings designed and installed as to not damage the cable. Now there's nothing in here that says approved by the authority having jurisdiction, which I believe you see in uh, MC cable, and we'll, we'll verify that. But there's nothing here that you say that there has to be something that's going to be either a staple, a cable tie, a strap, uh, uh, hangers, or similar fitting. I don't see anything here that says that, that is listed for that application. Uh, so that is going to give some guidance to the, the authority having jurisdiction to look for something to be used. Um, but, you know, cable ties are very commonly used. Uh, staples are very commonly used. You know, don't overdrive them. Again, you're dealing with AC cable. You really know how how important that outer armor is to this application. Uh, use a little common sense. Uh, and, they, and they have to be in a way that they're designed not to damage the cable. And staples can damage the cable, so you have to be very careful on how you install them. Um, so you, you just can't take it and uh, just drape it over things and it's got to be something that's going to be installed in a way that's not going to damage the cable. I can't have it draped over an air conditioning duct, metal duct, uh, and that type of things, and it rests on it. You know, it's got to be secured. It's got to be supported. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but whatever securing it and supporting it has to be done in a way that it's not going to damage the cable itself. Now, we're going to go into 320.30B and C, and we'll talk about D. Uh, but we're going to focus here on B. Now, this says securing. It says unless otherwise permitted, and when we see otherwise permitted, that's what we're talking about, the unsupported cable uh, in, in, in applications where it's, it's considered secured at the fittings. Uh, and, and there's other areas uh, in here where it's not required to be supported, like the six-foot length uh, that we'll talk about in uh, uh, 320.30D3, for example. So, so unless otherwise permitted... Type AC cable shall be secured within 12 inches of every outlet box, junction box, cabinet, or fitting. Uh, and the fitting would be, you know, there's, there's a wide variety of things that be considered fitting. But generally, uh, the fitting is what's the fitting is going to install to a to a junction box. For example, we'll call that a fitting, uh, which is a you know connector. And at intervals not to exceed four and a half feet, were installed on or across framing members. Now, that's the other thing to remember is that I see a lot of times they take the AC cable and run it above framing members and it just lays on the framing members. It has to, even when it's running across the top of framing members, and, and I find this a lot even with type NMB, non-metallic sheath cable, is that once they go up and pop through that top plate and they run it above the, the ceiling, up on the, uh, above the ceiling joists, they think that that's the supporting requirement is all that's there and that they don't have to secure it. You still have your securing requirement. It has to be secured every four and a half feet. 
I've had them argue all they want that it doesn't have to be, but there's a securing requirement. And you see here, it's the same thing for type AC cable. It still has to be secured even when it runs across. Right? When it's running through it, it's considered supported and secured if it's running through framing members, and we'll see that in a second. But also, it has to be secured as it's running across it. So 12 inches every outlet box, junction box, cabinet, and whatnot. Uh, and it still has to be secured every four and a half feet as it runs across or on framing members. Keep that in mind. That one has missed an awful lot. Failed quite a few inspections with that one there. So 320.30B is important to note that one down. And C, let's talk about supporting. Supporting, unless otherwise permitted, and again, that's in D, we're going to talk about those type of issues. It says type AC cables shall be uh, this, this is not permissive here. This is a requirement. Shall be supported at intervals not exceeding four and a half feet. Now, it does go on to say horizontal runs of type AC cable installed in wooden or metal framing members or similar supporting means uh, shall be considered supported where such supports does not exceed four and a half feet. So obviously framing members are framed uh, 18 inches on center or whatever the framing is, depending on the load, I guess. Uh, then as long as there, it, it, that the cable is run horizontally and it's not being unsupported for, for, for more than four and a half feet, then you're okay. So obviously running through framing members is, is gonna be supporting it, okay? So keeping that in mind. Or any horizontal run, as long as it's being supported every four and a half feet and or none of the space is, is exceeding four and a half feet, then you're okay. We don't want that cable drooping down, especially Again, where we're really relying on the integrity of that armor. All right. Now, let's go on to the, the, the infamous D, which is the supporting D, the unsupported cable, because I do get a lot of questions about unsupported cables. So we talked about the four and a half feet supporting. We talked about securing every four and a half feet. We talked about securing 12 inches every outlet box, junction box, cabinet. Uh, and what have you, and, and so on. So now you run into where it says unsupported cables. It says type AC cables shall be permitted. Okay, you don't have to do this. You can secure, you can support it in accordance with what we just talked about in C, but it does give you some allowances here that says that you can actually um, unsupport the cable uh, where the cable complies with any of the following. Doesn't say with all of the following, it says any of the following. So if I support any of the following, it says number one. All right, item number one, it says it's fished between access points through concealed spaces in finished buildings or structures and supported and supporting is impracticable. Well, let me explain something to you. It says finished buildings. So if I'm doing a rough in on a building and it hasn't been finished yet, and this might be my opinion, you can argue, but when I think of a finished building, I think of a building that has been issued a certificate of occupancy, the building is finished. So for all practical purposes, this is a remodel, this is a come back and add something type application where it would be impracticable to support it every four and a half feet, then it's gonna allow me to fish it in, okay? So that's the item one that can be beneficial on remodeling type of applications. Item number two says, is not more than two feet in length at terminals where flexibility is necessary. Okay, so I can have unsupported cable, uh, and as long as it's not more than two feet in length uh, and it's at the terminals, and this is an application where the flexibility is actually needed. 
Okay, so we are limiting it down uh, to two feet at the terminal, maybe to some motors or what have you, or you know something like that, that you have that application. So that's one where flexibility is needed, okay? Now, taking that same thing over into the what's probably the most uh, important unsupported cable requirement is D3, item three. It says that I can unsupport the AC cable uh, if it is not more than six feet in length from the last point of cable support, so let's say I'm supporting it along the wall, and at that last strap, I can go six feet and connect it to a luminaire or other electrical equipment, okay? Uh, and so, but let's read it. It's, you got to read it to kind of get it, and then we'll recap it. It says, is not more than six feet in length from the last point of cable support to the point of connection to a luminaire, or luminaires, or other electrical equipment, and the cable and point of connection are within an accessible ceiling. That's critical, okay? It has to be an application with an accessible ceiling to the, to the piece of equipment. Now, I will argue that the first one says, last point of securing to a luminaire, and it stops. Okay, so that is an accessible ceiling. It can be like a drop ceiling, suspended ceiling, or whatnot. It really doesn't say. But then it says, or other electrical equipment and cable uh, and point of connections are within an accessible ceiling. For, for, the, for the purposes of this section, it says type AC cable fittings shall be permitted as a means of cable support. So obviously the six-foot distance, there's a lot of people that would argue and say, well, I just read... The application that says it has to be secured every four and a half feet, uh, and then they turn around and, and say, "Well, wait a minute! Now you're letting me go up to six feet." But then didn't I read it says from a fitting in in uh, item B, it says that AC cable shall be secured within 12 inches of every outlet box, or and it goes on to say or fittings, uh, and then it turns around and says, "Well, the fitting is considered uh, a cable support. It is for this application." Okay. So the type AC cable fitting shall be permitted to means of cable support. And obviously the fitting is securing it to the, to the uh, enclosure or junction box or whatever, okay? And obviously we're talking about unsupported cables at this point, we're not talking about securing. The securing requirement is here, uh, but this one right here tells you that it's considered done. Now some people will argue the semantics back and forth. Uh, I can tell you with a six foot piece of type uh, AC cable, it's not an issue. The, the, the connector itself, uh, the fitting, can adequately secure it and it can adequately support it. So, you know, you want, you want to argue semantics, you know, that's fine, but I got other fish to fry. That, that's not one that we're going to argue uh, over because I think it's, you know, pretty clear by adding that last line that it's okay with it. Uh, you can agree to disagree. That's all good. That's the way we love it here. You know, you, everybody's entitled to their own opinion on that. Uh, in my opinion, would be the OR plays a significant role in uh, D3, okay? A significant role in D3, all right? All right, 320.40, boxes and fittings. Uh, at all points where the armor of AC cable terminates, a fitting shall be provided to protect wire from abrasion unless the design, unless the design of the outlet box or fitting uh, and we do have fittings that do have the 
the bushing built into them, and that's what it's talking about, is such as to afford equivalent protection. And in addition, okay, and in addition, an insulating bushing or its equivalent protection shall be provided between the conductors and the armor. The connector or clamp by which the type AC cable is fastened to boxes or cabinets shall be of such design that the insulating bushing or its equivalent will be visible for inspection. Now, ironically enough, UL4 requires these, these anti-short bushings. And they say they have to be of a distinctive color. And it gives a such as example of red, orange, or yellow. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the only colors you can use because it says such as, and again, such as is a not an all-inclusive thing. It's just giving you some examples of something that stands out that's distinctive color. Uh, but I would argue that you use something that's not distinctive, then it wouldn't stand out, then an inspector could fail you. But I think most of the time you're going to see red as the anti-shore bushings to get used a lot. There are green ones out there, I've seen those, but the red is probably the predominant. And it's why most people have called them. I've heard it, depending on where you're at in the country, believe it or not, called redheads and red hats, uh, depending on where you're at. Um, so, you know, but again, those anti-shore bushings are required to be there. You're required to, 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 to see them. All right, uh, let's see here. It, oh, and, and, and I should also say that that is in uh, type MC cable. We get this an awful lot. Type MC cable does not require the, the anti-short bushing. Type AC does. Now, a manufacturer might supply the, the, the anti-shorts uh, with type MC. That is purely as a courtesy. It is not required, and, and an inspection agency should not make you do that. Um, so, you know, but I think what's real subtle about this is in 320.40, when it does AC cable, it says it, that, that it says here, it says a fitting shall be provided that protects wire and abrasion unless the design of the outlet box or fitting is such as to afford equivalent protection. And in addition, so this is the part I think everybody forgets. Even the manufacturers that make fittings sometime and say that you don't have to have any type of anti-short in a, in a AC connector that actually has the bushing, uh, red bushing built in. That's for the abrasion. It says, in addition, it says an, insula an insulating bushing or its equivalent protection shall be provided between the conductors and the armor. So I think a lot of people forget that. I think a lot of people buy a fitting that has the red bushing built into the fitting, but don't realize that the code here says, and in addition, the insulated bushings have to be installed. Okay, I think people forget that. Oh, and incidentally, in UL4, the code also says that for every 250 foot roll of uh, type AC cable that you're required, the manufacturer is required to supply you with at least 35 of those bushings, anti-short bushings. So I don't know if you knew that or not, but that's part of UL4. Again, you can do a Google search on UL1569 for type MC cable, and you will never see a mention of anti-short bushings in there. You do have to have listed fittings that are going to provide that level of protection, but you have to realize that, and we're not there, we're not talking about MC cable, but MC cable has a polymeric wrap on it, or for some of the uh, hospital grade or healthcare facility types, it'll have individually wrapped thick paper 
Uh, and so that affords the protection. Um, so the, the, the actual anti-shorts are not really required because of the way the fitting is designed. But anyway, um, just kind of things to, to remember. But yeah, sit down and read 320.40 pretty, pretty closely. You're going to see that you probably have way more violations than you thought because of that little word and in addition. <laughs> okay, how many people missed that? I don't know. Okay. Uh, let's see, but, but most of the time we call those things redheads, but you know what, there was a, you turn it upside down and it's like a top hat. And I had one play, I can't remember where it was, and they call it, they just kept calling it red hat. Hey, I know what they're talking about, so I'm okay with it. All right, let's move on to ampacity. We're talking about 320.80, ampacity. The ampacity shall be determined in accordance with 310.15. And again, 310.15, when it says that, that means you have to be aware that there are also adjustments and the corrections that are underneath it. And that's the reason why uh, a cycle or two ago, they took 310.15, uh, 310.16, which is ampacity values, and restructured it back into 310.15 because that is where all of the guidance is given for the adjustments and corrections. And according to the NEC style manual, if you're going to reference a table, it has to be within the body of the, of the section that it's talking about. So that's why it's back in 310.15. And that's why ampacities are 310.15B16. You know, luckily we kept the 16 component, but that's where it needed to be, all right? So all this is saying is, first and foremost, all ampacities are subject to that within 310.15. So that's 310.15B16, uh, uh, that's 310.15B3A, you know, all those applications for adjustment, corrections, bundling, uh, ambient temperature adjustments, all of that come into play here when we're dealing with type AC cable. Now we get a little more specific and we go in and look at the uh, subparts here, which is an A and a B. It says thermal insulation. Okay, so we know what ampacity of conductor based on the terminations, based on the insulation value of the conductors, uh, but we know that an ampacity has to correspond to its condition of use and its termination. Now we're talking about a situation where I take this type AC cable and I put it uh, in thermal insulation. Uh, it says, A, thermal insulation. It says, armored cable installed in thermal insulation. Uh, notice it says installed in. Uh, doesn't say anything about installed in contact with. Okay. Uh, that's something to look at non-metallic sheath cable and understand that. But this says uh, armor cable in, uh, installed in thermal insulation shall, uh, shall have conductors rated at 90 degrees C. So the internal conductors of type AC cable have a 90 degrees C insulation value. That'd be like a THHN slash THWN dash two. That dash two gives it the 90 wet or dry. But it gives you that dual rating. So the chances are, you know, and, and that's what you're gonna you're gonna have. You gotta have that 90 degrees C application of the conductor, which is good for 194 degrees Fahrenheit. Now it says the ampacity of the cables installed in these applications. Okay, so now we're talking about these applications. So that's installed in thermal insulation. Okay, not any other time when it's not in thermal or exposed, but when it's in thermal insulation, it says the ampacity of the cable installed in these applications shall not exceed that of the 60 degree rating conductors. So where I can use 90 degree for adjustment and corrections, the end of the day, the ampacity value that's in the 60 degree table of 31015 uh, B16 is what we can't exceed. Okay. 
When we use adjustment and corrections and we use the 90, we're making sure that after the condition of use, after the ambient temperature, after the bundling effect or number of current carrying conductors bundled together, that we still have a conductor that's on the surface is good enough for at least what's rated in the 60 degree column. But we can't go above what's in the 60 degree column. We're just trying to, to use the 90 to tell us that we still have a conductor that's okay before we even go to the 60 degree column, okay? All right, hopefully I explained that to you. There's another episode I do that goes into adjustment and corrections. Uh, and incidentally, if you're visiting the 2015 NECA show that's taking place in Chicago, come on out and uh, visit it because I'm doing a presentation on how to demystify adjustments and corrections when it comes to cables and wiring methods. It's going to be awesome. Come out there and I'll give you a one-hour crash course on everything you need to know about adjustments and corrections. You'll love it. All right, so... Let's move on. So we already know we got to stick to that 60. Um, it says the 90 degree C rating shall be permitted to be used for ampacity adjustment and corrections we just talked about. However, the ampacity shall not exceed that of the 60. We kind of went over that. So all we're doing with adjustments and corrections is making sure we still have a conductor that's adequate even under the 60 degree column. All right. And let's see, cable trays, B. Ah, we do a lot of installations where type AC cable is installed in cable trays, also with type MC cable, uh, which is the, the next episode that we'll do. Uh, but see, cable trays, the ampacity of type AC cable installed in cable tray shall be uh, determined in accordance with 392.80A, okay? Now, the one thing to tell you about 392.80A is it's, dealing with the impacity of cables rated 2,000 volts or less in cable trays. And it point blank says the allowable impacity of multi-conductor cables, like what we're dealing here, type AC cable, uh, installed in accordance with the requirements of 392.22a, shall, uh, shall be as given, okay, we're talking about impacity, in table 31015b16, like we talked about, and table 31015b18, and subject to provisions of A1A, B, C, and 31015A2, okay? Now, A2 is a 10-foot, 10% application. Obviously, you can get, it has some good usages there. But this is where you go for ampacity. And rather than go over all of these, because I am going to do one in a, uh, in a 392 episode, uh, this is your golden rule area for ampacities. Now, generally, again, you're going to use the normal 31015B16 application. Uh, but you do have to have the subject requirements of whether or not you have a continuously covered tray, which is not gonna allow ventilation, uh, whether you have a single layer of an uncovered tray. All of the uh, impacities can change a little bit depending on the exposure, uh, separation, uh, whether or not you're installing them on a, uh, in a single layer or whatnot. And when it makes a reference to 392.22, Basically, it's, it's basically talking about the number of conductors or cables that you can install in a, a ladder or ventilated type cable tray, uh, uh, a uh, ladder or ventilated uh, uh, trough cable tray or a wire cable tray or solid bottom tray. You have to do this first and understand how you can put the cables in there. And if you meet the requirements here about the spacing, the separation, the layers, then you can go, if you meet the, the requirements of 392.22a, then you go back and then you can follow the guidelines that are in the, the 392 
uh, which will send you, which sends you back, like we said, to the, the normal ampacity values of 31015 uh, B16. Uh, it's when you get outside of those parameters on 392.22a that you have to really look at the pen on which type of tray you're dealing with, how many you have in a raceway, uh, do you have to make any adjustments, those type of things. So without getting it, you know, Two, we don't want to get away from what we're talking about, but that's which that's the kind of the method of how you you do it. You you you're gonna to have to go to uh, the ampacities in 320.80. That's gonna send you to uh, if you're gonna put it in a cable tray, you got to be aware of 392.80a and those ampacity values, and it's gonna be different depending on what type of tray you're in. And then you got to remember that 392.22a is going to tell you the method of how many cables or conductors you can install in this specific tray in order to apply the ampacity values uh, that are in 392.80a, which is going to send you back at the end of the day to the ampacity values that are in 31015b16. Look, if you got confused on that, it is confusing to some people, um, and, and it's really outside of the scope of this show because I'm trying to give you the basics of 320. But if you really want to know how these things apply, again, come to see me at the NECA show. Uh, and I don't know when it is. I think it's October of 2015 in Chicago and, and take and listen to my presentation. I go into this in brief detail because I don't want to, you know, send people spinning because uh, it's an awful lot of material in a short amount of time. But that's the kind of the ampacity chain you follow. If you install it properly in the tray, then you go back to the 392.80a, which will then tell you that you can use 31015b16 or b18, depending on your application, okay? All right, and lastly, we get to part three, which is construction specifications, and this one isn't really long, so we'll probably breeze through this. Again, all type AC cable is constructed in accordance with UL4 standards, so we have to meet that first. Uh, and there are a lot of optional things that you can add to a cable for optional uses that you can add to it, but the basic mainstay is meeting the requirements of, of UL4. And basically it says type AC cable, and I'm at 320.100, the construction, is type AC cable shall have an armor of flexible metal tape and shall have an internal bonding strip of copper or aluminum in intimate contact with the armor for its entire length. And that's why you need a proper type AC fitting that's designed to utilize that armor with the fitting to a connection to a junction box in order to maintain that effective ground fault current path. But that, that bonding strip, be it copper or aluminum, makes intimate contact with every convolution from beginning to end of that run and works as a team with the armor because that armor is in a spiral uh, configuration can have a lot of what's called cancellation effect. And it's kind of, if you think of it this way, uh, it, it adds a lot more impedance that's necessary, that, that isn't necessary in order to function properly. So what happens is by connecting all those convolutions together, you kind of bring it into a complete system, kind of like a solid raceway, if you will. Uh, and if you think of it in simplistic terms, ground fault current doesn't want to travel in a circular motion. It wants to travel in a easiest straight line to get back on this wiring method. So by connecting all of these convolutions together, you're creating a, a full assembly here, a factory assembly that allows for an effective ground fault current path. And that's why you have to have that bonding strip. So that's unique to a type AC cable. Now, the only cousin to that is when you see something like the type MC cable called a smart ground. And that is where it has a 
aluminum grounding slash bonding conductor that runs all the way through the entire assembly and makes intimate contact with all the convolutions. And we'll talk about that a little bit when we get into um, uh, the application of type MC cable. Okay. All right, let's move on. And let's see here. Let's look at 320.104. We're talking about conductors. It says insulated conductors shall be the type listed in 310.104A, which is that table we're all familiar with that lists all the wiring methods uh, or the wire types, if you will, that can be installed in this type of uh, cable. All right. So it says, or those identified for use in this cable. In addition, the conductor shall have a, and here's important, listen to this. The conductor shall have an overall moisture resistant and flame retardant fibrous covering. That's that thick paperish fibrous material that actually has a, a fire retardant uh, chemical in, installed with it. Uh, and it says for type ACT, the moisture resistant fibrous covering shall be required only uh, on the individual conductors. All right, so you, you don't have to have the overall wrap. You can actually have it uh, on the type ACT. You can actually have it on the actual individual conductors as well. Now, 320.108, equipment grounding conductor, type AC cable, uh, shall provide an adequate path for fault current. Um, I guess for any fault current, but I kind of would like it to say an adequate path for ground fault current. Uh, but I guess it could be, you know, any type of ground fault current is going to provide that path, obviously, to get back to the source to clear an overcurrent protective device, whether it's circuit breaker or fuse. Uh, and it's as required in 250.4A5 or B4 to act as an equipment grounding conductor. So one thing to remember is it, it does meet that requirement in uh, 250.118 as, a, as a, an equipment grounding conductor. It does provide that effective ground fault current path. It does have that bonding metal to metal that's done by the properly listed fitting for type AC cable. It does all that in order to give it that equipment grounding conductor component, that effective ground fault current path component, that bonding component of bonding all metal parts that aren't necessarily an equipment grounding conductor, or bond, but it's actually being used as a bonding component. Okay, So it ties the pieces together. In other words, it gets the from one piece of metal to connect it to another piece of metal. So that fitting, for example, connects the effective ground fault current path of the metallic armor with a metal enclosure. It kind of ties everything together. Um, so for example, you wouldn't consider the fitting as an equipment grounding conductor, but you would require to bond it to the equipment grounding conductor uh, or that effective ground fault current path to create this system or this effective component in order to help facilitate the operation of an overcurrent protective device. Okay, so that is what's taking place here. And again, uh, it is listed here in 250.118 as an effective ground fault current path. So we got that covered. Last thing is the marking. It says the cable shall be marked in accordance with 310.120. And of course, 310.120 talks about all the markings requirements uh, where you actually could, uh, let's see here, I just wanted to look. Yeah, you have the manufacturers, usually we put a strip inside or you have a label that's on the side of it, uh, of the roll or the reel, that'll give you all the information, the sizes, the maximum voltage rating, the manufacturer's name and uh, trademark and distinctive markings and all that kind of stuff. The size, the American wire gauge or circular mill where applicable uh, and all those type of things. And marking tape, it says, 
uh, just just for reference, I'm in 310.120B2. It says metal covered multiconductor cable shall employ a marker tape located within the cable or running for its its complete length. And you'll notice that there's an exception for type AC cable. Okay, so you don't need to have that marker tape uh, inside. All right. Well, let's go back and see if there's anything else I left off. No, nope, that's it. So if you have any additional questions or anything that I did not cover, um, then feel free to email us at info at masterthenec.com. And we're more than happy to answer any of your questions on type AC cable. And I encourage you to stick around. This has been pretty long. I guess this show is about an hour and uh, 30 minutes. Uh, but again, it covered just about everything you really need to know about type AC cable under that time frame. So that's not too bad. Um, again, um, if you have any additional questions, uh, for example, somebody might ask is, well, what's the difference between AC cable and healthcare facility AC? Well, the only real difference is the installation of an insulated equipment grounding conductor inside the cable where you usually wouldn't have one for type AC because you're using the armor, right? But if you were doing it in a healthcare facility, say a hospital, then you got to meet the redundancy requirements that are in 517.13 A and B. A being the outer metallic uh, sheathing as an effective ground fault current path, but also you have to have an internal equipment grounding conductor that's insulated. And that's why you would, that's the difference between an AC, which doesn't have the internal equipment grounding conductor, it's using the armor, or the healthcare facility type AC. That's the differences. Uh, all we're doing that one is installing an insulated equipment grounding conductor inside. And it meets that requirement for use in healthcare applications. So, uh, so anyway, that's about it for today's show. Thanks for listening. Uh, as we talked about type AC cable, if you have any questions, again, feel free to email us at info at masterthenec.com and join us next time as we talk about type MC cable.